Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Joining me in just a moment. Oh, joining me now. Jo- no, not joining me now. I'm so I'm so ahead of myself. It's the top of the hour. It's Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. It's hour two, and I'm a little ahead of myself. I, yes, Adam Holtz is joining us, for those of you wondering. He's up next. Um, but first of all, let me ask this question. Where in the word are you today? Where in the word are you today? I will tell you I've been lingering over Philippians four, eight, and nine, as we discussed with Kathy Branzell yesterday here on the program. I've been, uh, I've been lingering here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What are you dwelling on this morning? Where are you dwelling? In whom are you dwelling? Who dwell on these things. Philippians 4, um, verse 8. I also uh, have in mind Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32 this morning. And I have these uh, verses in mind because over here on the, you know, on the side of conversation is the very public trial and the outcome of the trial of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. So before I talk about that, I want us to be rightly focused. So Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're, we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, with those two passages in mind, Philippians 4, where we are going to dwell on that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, morally excellent, praiseworthy, and Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, where we're going to put away falsehood and speak truth, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, be kind to one another, with all those things in mind, then take a look. 
at this public spectacle that we have called a trial featuring two very big Hollywood personalities, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. You're welcome to spend time looking at the accusations and considering the evidence of their past behavior and what witnesses have said. You're, you're welcome to look at the way that they characterized one another and the actual malice of the trial itself. But let me encourage you to consider the public witness of, of what's happening and the degradation of individuals in public and the destruction of a marriage and the public witness of people clamoring for one side or the other and what happened in the court of public opinion related to each of these individuals and the challenge it presents to women who do suffer abuse regardless of whether or not you think Amber Heard was telling the truth. And then let me say that the church is supposed to be different and Christians are supposed to be different and act differently. But then I have to consider the headlines related to the Southern Baptist Convention and the credible abuse um, allegations made by so many women and children over so many years. And then let me say this. The church remains God's plan. There's no plan B. The church is the plan. It's time for us to work the plan. The world needs the gospel. The world needs Jesus. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and everybody related to the nonsense that was paraded before us as a people need Jesus. And we're in a position to share him with them. So let's focus on that today. Next up, we've got Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families plugged in, and we're going to look at what's happening on the big and the small screen. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. is back from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Hey, Adam. How are you doing, Carmen? I'm very well. TJ Moore um, texted in, asked if we had any feedback on Family Camp and the Skit Guys. TJ, uh, yeah, we have um, we have talked about that. We have actually talked with the Skit Guys here, and you can find out more at PluggedIn.com. Jim from Simsbury wants to say uh, to you, Hey, Adam was totally right. Downton Abbey did not disappoint. Full of good things and happy endings. Um, so there you go. Lots of feedback well, for you here from from just, your fans. I just want to hear my children say that I was totally right. You know, but I <laughs> I absolutely appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. Oh, what do you got for us today in the review category? Oh man, where do you want to start? Because I think. Um, did we talk Let's start about, with, is there anything you think people should watch? You know, Hollywood Stargirl on Disney Plus is 
a pretty sweet, pretty old fashioned Disney style movie. Um, there's not a lot to say about it. It stars Grace Vanderwall. It's a sequel. First one came out two years ago uh, as a young woman, an aspiring singer and actress who her mom moves to Hollywood. And of course, she gets involved in a film there. And it's a pretty nice movie. There aren't too many facepalm moments. Actually, there aren't any. And, um, you know, it, I could say uh, it's a, quote, poignant coming of age drama and comedy. Uh, and that pretty much covers it. So uh, if you're looking for a, a, a pretty nice movie, kind of old school Disney, that one checks the box. And I don't have any, you know, <laughs> except for this, this and this. Um, I think there's one profanity and a little bit of kissing. But when you compare it to something like Euphoria, for, Euphoria, for example, mm. on HBO, uh, it's a it's a pretty good movie. Excellent. All right. How about Obi-Wan? I think people will be interested in this one. Yeah. Let's talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. So this is a new Disney Plus show that focuses on what happened with Obi-Wan Kenobi between episode three, which was Revenge of the Sith, and episode four, which, of course, is Star Wars for those old enough to have been around and a new hope to everybody else. So basically, um, you have the Empire searching for and exterminating the very few Jedi who slipped through its net when uh, Order 66 was executed, which was the order to kill all the Jedi at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Obi-Wan is in hiding. Uh, he is on Tatooine, which, of course, is the desert planet where much of the action in Star Wars takes place. And excuse me, forgive me, I'm I'm working on week seven of post-COVID symptoms. So, I'm so sorry. So, Still working it out. Um, basically, they know he's out there, and there are these really nasty people called Inquisitors who are hunting them. And they lay a trap for Obi-Wan to capture him. Uh, they they kidnap young Princess Leia, who's about seven or eight. Uh, and I should say, Obi-Wan is looking kind of from a distance, keeping an eye on Luke Skywalker, too. Um, and so that's sort of his mission, is to protect Luke but he gets sucked into going after Princess Leia, who has been kidnapped. But of course, in Star Wars fashion, it's a trap. And some of you <laughs> will get that joke. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In in just a moment. Yes, yes, for those of you who are asking, we are going to talk about Top Gun Maverick. It's huge opening weekend and also the movie's influence. Check out what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, we're talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You should check out all the reviews and other articles at PluggedIn.com. Um, all right, I know that you guys talked last week um, when you were here with Peter Kapsner about the Top Gun Maverick movie. It did have yeah. a huge opening weekend. Um, and it's a movie that, um, you know, it's, it, it defies sort of the the conversation about whether or not a movie can still have influence today. Oh, absolutely it does. And I think <clears throat> the interesting thing about Top Gun is it's done big business. And some of the biggest business we've seen since COVID ended I think it is, and, and this is my interpretation, I can't prove this, I think we're hungry 
for a good news story, and that's lowercase good news, not gospel, a good news story that doesn't preach at us. And Tom Cruise, for all of the wacky things he has said and believes in his personal life, he is a blast to watch on screen. This is an unabashed, black and white, good versus bad kind of movie where we get heroism and sacrifice. We don't have any preaching. Um, <clears throat> we get an affirmation of America's, I think, fundamental goodness. And there's not too much content by PG-13 standards. Now, that's glass half full, half empty. I think there's about 25 profanities. So it's not squeaky queen. Don't take your five-year-old. Um, but by today's standards, um, it's a, a relatively problem-free PG-13 action movie. And I think that combination of things is just is driving it. And you get the nostalgia factor, too. Anytime you have a sequel to a big movie from the 70s or 80s, that's going to draw in, you know, people of a certain age as well. So um, I think they've hit a home run. I hope Hollywood's paying attention. I think we're tired of being preached at. We're tired of grim stories. We're tired of sarcasm and cynicism. And this thing pretty much dispenses with all of that. And it's made hundreds of millions of dollars. So the military, I thought this was an interesting um connecting point. I didn't I didn't exactly know that the US military and it doesn't surprise me, right? That the US military actually has a whole office that deals yeah. with requests from um movie makers in particular. Um and you know, and obviously you have to pay to use um airplanes and, and things. You're apparently not allowed to touch the controls. You can sit Correct. you can sit in there, but you can't I mean there's all kinds of like restrictions and rules. Yep. Um but this is a very positive pro-military movie. And I guess there are probably some people who would say, you know, right there on the edge of propaganda. Well, again, I mean, when we define propaganda, one person's propaganda is another person's good story. Now, I think of of propaganda as a heavy-handed attempt to convince you of some, some philosophical or potentially theological argument. Um, I didn't feel like this was propaganda. I felt like this is a movie about good Americans taking on bad guys. So, yeah, sure. Uh, do Can we critique the military's failures? Sure, we can. We can have a conversation about that. Life is more complex than that. Uh, but I think calling Top Gun propaganda feels like a pretty cheap shot. But Again, see my first statement about one man's propaganda as another man's good story. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So we got other things going on in the world of media. Maybe we should talk about the end of the series, This Is Us. Yeah. You know, This Is Us has been a remarkable series on NBC about a family and its it's deep love and it's deep brokenness. And the series has dealt with two parents who have triplets. One of the triplets dies and they adopt um, another child into their family. And if you've seen the series, you know that it jumps back and forth between different timelines at different places in their journey. Um, it's, it can be pretty raw. It can be pretty gritty. And I'm telling you what, the people who love this show 
are as hardcore fans as you will ever meet. Um, we have one person on our staff that, you know, I, I think she's cried at every episode. And it just wrapped up uh, this last week with the death of the mother and the three children sort of reflecting on her influence and her her inherent goodness, if you will. Mm. And I think I think it's a it's a, a series if you watch it that really does communicate effectively what intergenerational influence looks like. And we see lots of people make lots of bad decisions. There's there's a fair bit of content here, but I think in the end it's a story that that really affirms family in a pretty powerful way. And and there are a lot of feel-good moments, which I think speaks to why it's been so incredibly popular. Okay, can we have a conversation about TikTok? Um, there is a, a blog posted at PluggedIn.com, how TikTok can impact the TikToker. Um, for yeah. people not familiar with TikTok, I think it's important to realize and recognize just because you're not on it doesn't mean everybody else isn't. Like, right, TikTok right. is the place where most teenagers and young adults spend, uh, I mean, I, well, and older adults. I mean, like, right, I, it, it, there are a lot of people spending a lot of time, wasting a lot of time on TikTok. Yeah. So TikTok is a video platform. It started out back in the day as a an app called Musical.ly, and they changed the name to TikTok. Originally, it was people doing music covers. That was why it had a music focus. It has since evolved. And think of it as YouTube light. This is very short videos or almost the Twitter version of YouTube. So it's a video platform. Um, these videos are between five and 120 seconds. So two minutes is the equivalent of a movie on TikTok. And it's an absolute... Uh, cornucopia, if I can use that word, of things spilling out, many of which are intended to be humorous, many of which are dorky, many of which are very sensual. Um, now, you can't have nudity or, quote, sexually explicit material on TikTok, but um, just like we see on Instagram, you know, you get young people that get right up to the edge of what they can possibly do wearing not very much, wearing see-through clothes, that sort of thing. Um, so that's TikTok. A lot of the videos are innocuous. It's not all bad. And I would say most of it's just corny videos, which makes it so popular among tween and teen users. Uh, but like the other video services or other social media services, you can get sucked in and just watch video after video after video, which speaks to uh, what you're talking about. Um, this particular story talks about how a young woman um, basically attracted a stalker and how this guy stalking her affected her life. And so it's a reminder that whenever we put ourselves out there on social media, we don't have control over who's watching. We don't have control over how they're using images of us. And we need to be aware of that. And parents need to be especially aware and especially vigilant with young kids doing anything online that involves their image. Yeah. And I would say that if your 14 year old has 
more than a million followers on TikTok. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, your, Why? your, your parenting <laughs> philosophy might. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's something, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. All right, Adam, we got to leave it right there as always. Thank you so much. So much more um, for you at pluggedin.com. If you want to uh, check in with Adam there, Adam Holtz uh, from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Thanks, man. You bet. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. We'll be right back with Natasha Crane and Faithfully Different. You got me singing like All right, if you were on a ship and it was beginning to list to the right or to the left, like, right, you would want someone to take some action. Get get hold of the rudder and right the ship. Or everybody run to the side, you know, that's uh, uh, that's currently, like, uphill. All right. Okay, so much is wrong. Our ship is listing. How do we right the ship? For our part as Christians, um, how do we right the discipleship? Mm-hmm. You familiar with the term steady as she goes? So steady as she goes is a direct command to the helmsman to adjust the rudder in whatever way is necessary to keep the current heading, the straight path. So the heading is accurate, all eyes on Jesus, but lots of maneuvers are necessary to keep your heading when the wind and the waves are against you. So we're going to talk with Natasha Crane, author of Faithfully Different, about our listing ship and how we... Get back to steady as she goes. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When you think about the culture in which we live and you think about yourself as a Christian in the midst of it, is anything normal anymore? What does normal even mean? We're going to talk with Natasha Crane. She's the author of a new book, Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. Natasha, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's great to talk with you. All right. You lead off with um, this conversation about what's normal. So it's no longer normal to be a Christian in the culture. Um, What do you mean by that? Well, I think a lot of Christians have gotten comfortable in, in the past decades of thinking that just kind of the ongoing assumption is that people are generally Christian in culture. And you can hear a lot of studies on religious trends in America that say that about 65% of people today will tell you that they're a Christian. So if they're given a list of different things to choose from, hey, are you Jewish? Are you Mormon? Are you atheist, agnostic, Christian? 65% of people will say, that's the one. I'm a Christian. But if you look at other research that goes directly to what someone believes, not just how they identify themselves, when you look at their beliefs to see who has a functioning biblical worldview, in other words, they actually adhere to the basic truths that's taught in the Bible, that absolute truth exists, that God is sovereign, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, these kinds of things. When you look at those beliefs, they estimate that approximately 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, according to those actual beliefs and not just self-identification. So there's this huge gap today between the number of people who say they're a Christian and the percent of people who actually believe what's taught in the Bible. So 
it's not something that we can really go on anymore thinking, yeah, it's just pretty normal that people are Christians. It's kind of normal that people will identify themselves as a Christian. But if we're actually talking about what people believe, we are in a worldview minority if we seek to have a biblical worldview today. And not just a, a small minority, but a shrinking one. The researchers also estimate that in the last 25 years, that that percent of people who have a biblical worldview has decreased by half. So we need to be ready as Christians to face an increasingly hostile secular culture, knowing that the number of us out there really is getting smaller and smaller. So we recently um, had a conversation with George Barna from the American Worldview yes. Inventory at Arizona Christian University. He actually comes on, I don't know, about once a month, and we kind of walk through the research. And that's exactly what you're talking about, this this functional biblical worldview crowd is six percent across the culture. We recently talked with him about about like parents of school age children, mm-hmm. and when you start drilling down into younger generations, you know you're talking about somewhere between two to four percent. And so, um, when you say it's getting worse, part of it is we have fewer functional biblical worldview Christians raising emerging generations, and so you know that that it's sort of then baked into the cake that. Being Christian, authentically so, as would be recognizable historically, like that percentage of people in the population is just getting smaller and smaller. It's like an extreme minority. Yes, that, that's exactly right. And and that research that I'm citing absolutely does come from Dr. Barna at Arizona Christian University. And it's also in the church. That's a, another interesting mm. data point that they found that even within the evangelical churches, only about 21% of people have a biblical worldview. Mm. <laughs> and, and if you drill it into 18 to 29 year olds, it's 2%. So I always tell parents now, you, you've got to remember that the if you have kids who are uh, you know, under 18, and you're looking at the culture they're growing up into, well, 18 to 29, that generation right above them, 98% don't have a biblical worldview. <laughs> so wow. you, if you think about it in those terms, it's really, it, it is shocking. And in that most recent research that they've done that you were just talking about, where if you look at the parents themselves of preteens, and the percent of parents with a biblical worldview is so low, you're absolutely right. This is an extremely big problem that, you know, we talk all the time about how parents need to disciple their kids, but the parents need to be discipled. And so churches have a really big role that they need to play in doing that. And of course, it's not all in the church, but the church can play a huge role in that. Absolutely. I mean, the culture has a problem because the church has a problem. No question about it. We're talking with Natasha Crane. The book is Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a secular culture. And yes, we do have books to give away today. Uh, You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Natasha, most of the book is is prescriptive, but um, I do want to uh, help people understand the reality of the culture that we find ourselves in. Talk a little bit about secularism and that the fact that it's not neutral. Right. So the the dominant worldview that surrounds us, you know, people often say, okay, well, if we're only 6% as Christians with a biblical worldview, then what does everyone else believe? Well, this dominant worldview that surrounds us, secularism, can best be defined, and this is really the distinction I draw in the book, as a collective belief in the authority of the self, the authority of the individual to determine what's true about reality, what's good and bad and right and wrong. But as Christians with a biblical worldview, 
our authority comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from God. So we are looking to God and his inspired and authoritative word to determine what's true about reality. Whereas the vast majority of culture is looking inwardly and saying, I am the authority. Every individual person is the authority on what is true. So secularism is not neutral. It's not this kind of uh, laid back view where we're just going to have this neutral worldview picture. You can't have a neutral worldview because everyone has their own answers to these big questions about life, about who we are and why we're here, where we're going, what happens after we die. Everyone has answers to that. It's not neutral. When you take away the authority of a given religion and God, you're not left with no authority. You're left with the authority of yourself and you're still going to have answers to those questions. It's so that's the fundamental disagreement with culture. And when you start to understand it's the authority of the self versus the authority of God, you can start to filter everything through that lens and see exactly why we are at such great odds today. Now you got me thinking about Carl Truman and and, and his yes. books on expressive individualism. Um, so thank you for making those connections for us. I think, Natasha, like that's really helpful. It's helpful for people to have somebody making connections for us. Um, and that actually gets down to one of the things that you talk about in the book that I think is just so important. And I want to walk through faithfully different believing, faithfully different thinking, and faithfully different living but I want to absolutely make sure we get into a conversation about reinvigorating the spirit of discernment, because I think for many, many Christians in the world today, that is just a critical, critical issue. We're talking with Natasha Crane. The book is Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. We've got books to give away today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Natasha Crane about her new book, Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. Um, Let's talk, Natasha, just across, probably in pretty broad strokes here, um, what you cover in terms of prescription, because you're calling us to faithfully different believing, faithfully different thinking, and faithfully different living. Right. I think that a lot of times Christians think that when we are going to be salt and light in culture, when we hear this term, we're only thinking about our actions. And so a lot of times people are thinking that that just means being nice in some, you know, kind of generic way where we want to make people happy. We want to make them feel good, but that's actually a very secular view of how we should be living within culture because not necessarily what's going to make people feel happy. A lot of times people are going to be hostile to the truth, but we're still called to share truth. So that's why I lay the book out in this way, starting with believing and that leads to thinking and that leads to our actions. It's so important that we understand that first and foremost, we have to have our beliefs in the right place and that they're lined up with scripture, that they're lined up with God's word and what God himself has said, and that we're not getting caught up in secular ideas and secular types of beliefs. Because when we start secularizing what we believe to be true about reality, then that leads to errant thinking and that leads to errant believing, uh, rather errant living as far as when we compare that to what the Bible would tell us to to do. So we have to really connect all those things, starting with having the biblical worldview based on God's word, how that leads to 
thinking in line with that and then how that goes in to how we live out our faith and culture. It's not about just being nice and making people feel happy. It's about living according to how God tells us. Yeah, the conversation that I'm imagining here, having um, even with, you know, a a much older adult, right, and asking them, excuse me, to like, tell me what you believe and why you believe it. There's a lot of people, Natasha, that have never sat down and thought about what they're thinking about. And they certainly haven't sat down and thought about um, why they're thinking about things the way they are, why they believe what they do. Um, It starts with regaining a a supernatural worldview that we're not in this closed system, but that there really is a God and he is real. We have a lot of people living, even who say they're Christians, living as functional atheists. Yes, that's exactly right. That that is exactly the term that I like to use too. It, it is like a functional atheism. It's not that if you ask someone, "Hey, do you believe in God?" they would necessarily say, um, "You know, no." They would say, "Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian," but they're living their everyday lives as though God's not actually a personal God who loves us, who cares about us, who wants relationship with us, who still performs miracles. They don't. They don't be- live as if they believe that. And so that is actually the chapter that starts off that whole section on believing in terms of what the Bible is teaching, that there is this active God who is in relationship with us and not just living our day-to-day lives as as if he's not there, but we'll one day jut off to meet him after we die. Yeah, I also loved the chapter on re-examining our beliefs when we're confronted with doubts. Um, What do we do under this pressure of secular deconstructionism? Well, deconstruction is this whole trend today. If anyone's not familiar with that term, usually what it means, and I say usually because people use this term in a million different ways, but usually for all intents and purposes, what it means is that people are walking away from the historic Christian faith, and they're sort of dismantling the types of ideas that they no longer find to be consistent with what they accept, given the popular narrative today. Uh, That's probably not how they would frame it, but that's effectively how it ends up looking, that they're going to walk away from that historic faith. And they're not just doing this on their own. They're also trying to bring a lot of people with them. And so there is this secular pressure coming from people who are saying, you can be your own authority. You can decide what's true and not true from the Bible. You don't have to take all that with you. Let's deconstruct all of those you know, beliefs that you've always had. And let's take the ones that make sense to us. It just comes back to the authority of the self. And so in the chapter that I have on doubt, I go through 10 different points about how what to to do when you're responding to this personally, because we can all have doubts. That's, that's totally normal. There's nothing weird about that. And I think Christians need to understand that no worldview has 100% of the answers. There will always be questions, but make sure that when you have doubts, you're pursuing what's true, that that is the main objective in your mind that you want to pursue truth. It's not what you like the most. It's not what costs you the least, what is most popular, what feels comfortable. It's none of those things. It should simply be what is true about the nature of reality. And then you pursue that accordingly. And if anyone's not aware of this, there is a lot of evidence for the truth of Christianity, starting with the evidence for God's existence, going through to the evidence for the reliability of the Bible, the evidence historically for the resurrection. There's so much you can go to. It's not about your feelings or just kind of making this blind guess. Go after the evidence. Look for what's true. 
All right, I love it. I could talk with you all day. I just you're you're energizing me. I'm I'm thrilled um, with the content. The book is just excellent. Let's talk about reinvigorating the spirit of discernment. One of the things I I certainly note about people who claim to be Christians and yet you know they're pretty much living according to the ways of the world. They don't really seem to be able to know the difference. Right. There, there's a lot of confusion today. And and I think that sometimes when we talk about that gap between the 65% who say, yes, I'm a Christian, and the 6% who actually hold beliefs consistent with the Bible, a lot of people say, well, what's in the middle there? Well, I think that, and I, I don't know that Dr. Barna has actually broken this out. I'd love to see if he has, but I think that you have two groups in there. And one of the groups says, yeah, I know I don't have a biblical worldview according to that definition. I don't want to. I don't believe the Bible is you know the, the authoritative word of God. I just believe what I want from the Bible. That's one whole scenario. But there's another scenario, which is exactly what you just said, where people are sitting in church every week and they don't even know that they don't have a biblical worldview. They don't recognize that their beliefs don't line up with the with what the Bible teaches a lot of times because their church is not teaching what the Bible teaches. And so you do have a lot of people who don't even realize that their beliefs don't line up with the Bible. They're being very affected by secular culture and all the pressures that are being placed on us as Christians. And if you don't read your Bible regularly, you are going to fall victim to that very easily because a lot of what secular culture says sounds good. And that's the problem. It's not so obvious as maybe the challenges of the past where it was, you know, like, oh, God just doesn't exist. Well, if you're a Christian, you can say, well, I believe God exists. You know, immediately that's not what you believe. But secular culture tells you things like feelings should be your guide, you should be your authentic self, that happiness is the ultimate goal, that you shouldn't judge people, all these things that maybe at first look sound okay, sound good, actually, and that we're attracted to, but they're actually totally opposite of what the Bible says. So if we're not in the word and understanding what God has to say about these things, we can really easily fall prey to those ideas and they creep into our biblical worldview. And now we end up falling into that gap between the 65% and the 6%. Natasha, I was even thinking to myself as you were um, going through that litany, uh, I could probably come up with a proof text Bible verse to support each one of those ideas. And so discernment goes beyond, you know, knowing one proof text for something like, Mm -hmm. you know, you ought to be your best authentic self. Um, or not judge others. Like you gotta, you gotta be able to go beyond whatever the talking point is. It occurs to me that you know that was the tactic of the devil. Um, you know, tempting Jesus in the wilderness, right? I mean, even the devil can proof text the Bible. So um, it's really important. You take us into Scripture. You help us understand how to reflect on it and how to reinvigorate the spirit of discernment. And I think that's just a critical portion of the book. We are talking with Natasha Crane. Uh, Her new book is Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. We are giving away copies of the book today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Natasha, we're out of time today, but I sure hope you'll come back. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so fantastic. You guys can visit with Natasha online at natashacrane.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Welcome to the First Church of Mercy, where the doors of love swing open wide. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you... The 
80-20 rule. When I say the 80-20 rule, what comes to mind um, for you? I mean, ordinarily in any group or institution, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, carry 80% of the financial load. Um, 20% is a fairly big percentage when you're talking about um, what moves an organization or what moves a nation. Um, 20% of Ukraine is now in Russian control. Now, that means 80% of Ukraine is not in Russian control, but 20% of Ukraine is in Russian control. I want you just to imagine for a moment 20% of the United States of America being in the control of either, I don't know, Canada or Mexico. So depending which one of those two countries you live closest to, um, you know, are you in the 20% of the United States of America that would be Canadian or Mexican, or at least under Canadian or Mexican control? And you say to yourself, you know, we don't have neighbors like that. We don't live in that kind of neighborhood. Thanks be to God. That's true. Um, But 20% of a country that 100 days ago we understood to be utterly sovereign, functioning fully as a a participant in um, the global economy, Uh, you know, people living their lives, going about regular life. And 100 days ago, Vladimir Putin sent in Russian troops and has been shelling um, Ukraine, obliterating some towns and cities, large cities, cities the size of Minneapolis, cities the size of Nashville, leveled. And 100 days ago, that's not the world they were living in. It's the world they're living in today. Many of them now displaced, millions and millions of Ukrainians displaced. And so I know that our attention is rightly focused here in the United States on violence here at home. 19 children and two teachers is tragic. Um, Thousands, tens of thousands of Ukrainians, civilians, have died in the last 100 days. The rate at which the Ukrainian military is being um, killed is very significant. Um, if you only have 200,000 people in your military force and you're losing at least 100 of them a day uh, in terms of fatalities and thousands a day in terms of um, injuries, you can only fight the war for so long. And so if you had not recently renewed your prayers for the people of Ukraine, Russia now controls 20% of the Ukrainian territory. So yes, we are sending... Um, financial aid, and we are sending weapons. But the war's not going well uh, in the eastern and southern portions of the country. So let's be renewing our prayers on the global front as well. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LeBurge. Let's be a people of prayer, practically praying for one another and the concerns of the world, recognizing that God is good. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.